Well, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the rich man boast of his riches, or the strong man boast of his strength. But let he who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord who practices kindness and justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. That's what God's delighted in today, in you, is that you would understand and know him. You know, when we gather and we get into God's word here, it's easy to know about God. But our, uh, over the course of these next four messages, we're going to be looking at spiritual disciplines that help us know God and help us understand God. And that's really what he's after in a relationship. And I have um, some, I'm kind of a visual learner, so I've put up some things in front of you just for you to, to kind of picture where things might be in your relationship with the Lord. We're kind of outdated. Remember grandma's house? My grandma had avocado shag carpeting that she raked, you know? Remember that? Those of you who had shag carpeting, remember you'd rake it after you vacuumed it. And uh, so it's in need of an update. A lot of us on the interior, on the inner part of us, our souls, that would last forever, were kind of stale. As some of you, for the first time, this is, you know, first time you've been in church for a while and this may be your concept of God, something that your grandma would be into, but not, not quite you. And so what we want to do during this time is we want to kind of renovate. We want to renovate our souls and use this time kind of front and center to, you know, get through the dust, get down to the bottom, tear down and, and kind of so that we can arrive here at something that's fresh and vital and real and authentic in our lives. And so when we spend some time in renovation, it may get a little dusty. It may get a little challenging. We want to challenge you, though. That's why you're here. And I'm going to assume that's why you're here, because I do want to challenge you in your walk with Christ to take that next step, whatever that looks like. If you don't know him, I want you to know him and understand him. If you do know him, I want you to go deeper. And over these four, uh, four messages in this month, We're going to address some spiritual disciplines, which aren't the end, but they're the process to help us move into a deeper relationship with the Lord. You know, you guys spend a lot of time on the exteriors and you all look really good this morning. Okay. I mean, I'm seeing all of you and you, um, you, you know how to dress up, but I really want to address the inner part of you, your soul, because that's what God's interested in. He's not really concerned about your intelligence, your academic uh, advances. He's not really concerned about uh, your strength and how beautiful you are or how strong you are, or how athletic you are. He's really not concerned in how much money you have in the bank or how much income you make. He's concerned about whether or not you know him and understand him. And so that's what we want to do. We want to go on this quest to really deal with the interior part of us, the inner design that God has crafted us in his image to experience as we address our souls. And this first one, we're going to be talking about prayer. Prayer that uh, has been around all ever since God created man. He has had a conversation with man and women. And uh, he wants to have a continuing conversation with us. Um, and, and as we look at this, I just want to, I just want to ask you, where, where, when it comes to prayer, where are you? You know, um, I've met some of the godliest people who spend time with God every day, who spend time in prayer with him every day, and yet still say, I don't pray enough. And then there's other people who go, wow, yeah, I've done that. And they check the box and their life is more regimental. And then there's others who just say, I, I just don't pray. I mean, that's why I come to church, so that you can pray for me, because we pay you to pray. And uh, I am not a professional prayer, okay? Um, 
Although that is in, from a biblical perspective, my job description is that I would pray for you as a congregation. I do lift you up in prayer. And although I've, I've spent probably about as much time praying over this message that I do preparing for that message, the picture is for all of us to have a vibrant prayer life. You know, as I look and talk with people about prayer and talk about their walk with Christ and just talk to them about their lives, I come across this constant dynamic in all of our lives, and that's this. It's called prayerless striving. It's where we're busy and where we're active and where we're um, kind of just chasing after that next thing. And so when we talk about prayer, all of a sudden, oh, don't talk to me about prayer. That's really not one I, I want to get into right now because I don't have a good record with that. You know, even in God's work, even uh, involved in ministry, you can get wrapped up in prayerless striving where you're doing that next thing, which you think is for God, and you do that next courageous act that you think God would really be pleased with. But without prayer, it's just prayerless. It's just striving without God. And God wants us all dependent on him. He's not a God who just says, okay, here's the plan. Go, take off. You go do what you want. He's a God who is with us. The name for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we constantly are, are called back to this God who wants to walk with us in life. And prayer is that opportunity to do that. I don't know what your picture of prayer is, um, but I want to kind of put out a vision for it. I want to kind of put out a vision this morning that's different than you must spend one hour. That's different than you must have a prayer list that's 50 pages long and pray for it every day. But I want us to consider what God has in mind when we, he asks us to pray. And that is, we want to have a continuing conversation with God. A continuing conversation with God. And you know, as we look at it, there's no greater desire for me as a pastor than for you to be a congregation of faith who prays. I mean, that, that's one of the greatest things we can be and the greatest things we can do. The greatest things for you as a husband, guys, is for you to be praying for your wife and for your children. And yet the reality is, is we aren't praying with our wives. Some of us are more comfortable, and I think that's where we get. We're more comfortable praying with our kids because that's the kind of prayer we were used to at one time, and we haven't grown in it. And so, frankly, we just need to man up, and we need to start praying like men. And being courageous again with God. Others of us, you just, you kind of wrapped up in, um, you know, you have one prayer that you've prayed. That's the only prayer that you think you ought to pray. And that's the one you're kind of stuck with. But you know what? God wants to have a continuing conversation where he's in life with you. Where you're praying consistently in your life and continually with God through prayer. It's not just about time, but about a continuing conversation. God in life with you. You aware of his presence, trusting him and turning to him continually. And this can be real, folks. And this can be normal. And this is God. This is what he's calling us into when he asks us to pray. And there's a passage in Luke chapter 18 that I want to go to. And if you have your Bibles, which I hope you bring, open them up into Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And again, like always, if you came without a Bible, get on up and go in the back tables there and you can get a Bible there. And if you don't have a Bible at home, take that home. It's our gift to you. It always takes someone to be courageous who didn't bring their Bible to get up and get thank you. Okay, so all it takes is that go and get one if you don't have one and we'll get into God's word together. Luke chapter 18, 
verse 1. Now, you know, when Jesus' disciples, when they were with him and they saw him pray, there was something unique about Jesus praying. Something so unique that when, after Jesus stopped praying to his heavenly father, they, they came up to him and they noticed something were different. They looked at the religious world at the time and they saw people praying in public and kind of flaunting it and babbling and all that kind of stuff. And, and they weren't impressed by that. It kind of separated them from the religious people. Kind of maybe how you might feel about prayer. But when Jesus prayed, they noticed something different. So much so that in Luke chapter 11, they came up to Jesus after they saw him praying. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They saw something about it. It was vital. It was real. It was authentic. It was personal. It was a continuing conversation. And they wanted to be like it. And that's where Jesus taught them the Lord's prayer. He taught them how to pray. And here, Jesus is teaching a parable. Now, a parable is a story. And it's not a... It's not like, it's, it's kind of like a, um, guys consider this illustration. There was a man. So it wasn't that it was a, a literal story. It was a story about, you know, to, to, to teach a larger truth. And Jesus loved to draw out his, his crowd. He loved to draw out his students. And his disciples would hear a lot of parables in their time with him. And they would go, what does he mean by that? And then Jesus would interpret what he meant. And so it's rare that Jesus would tell them, exactly what he means about uh, what he wanted to teach them before he gave them the parable. But this is where he does. He tells them before he even teaches them the parable what he wants them to learn from it. Take a look in Luke 18, chapter, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus told his, his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. If you have your Bibles, just underline that because that's the answer. That's what Jesus wants to really call us into, a continual conversation with him, always prayerful, never giving up, being persistent in our prayers. And then then he gives them an, an illustration here, the parable. He says this, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally, he said to himself, self, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see to it that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, we see from the beginning of this, just to get an understanding that Jesus wants to teach us to pray and never give up. And we see at the end of this that when he returns... He, he's just asking the question, will I find faith on the earth? And that just teaches us a real quick thing, is that your, your prayer life is a reflection of your faith life. If your faith is vibrant, you're going to pray. If you don't pray, you will not grow in your faith. You know, as I look at this, um, it's also easy as we take another step into understanding what Jesus is saying, is that it's on first glance, it's easy to say now, Why is Jesus talking about an unjust judge? Is he talking that God is just like that unjust judge? On first glance, it would be easy for us to say, so Jesus is saying basically that God is like that unjust judge. 
And we should, as his children, just keep crying out, just keep praying and praying and praying. And eventually he will come back to us and listen to us and do as we say. Well, that's absolutely not what Jesus is saying, because he's saying, no, I'm not like the unjust judge. I'm instead of godless, I'm godly. And instead of not being concerned about people, I am interested in everyone. God is interested in everyone in here. So it's not that we have a God who is like that. So are we like the widow? Are we the one who needs to just keep crying out and crying out because of our image of God is that we got to keep screaming. We got to keep crying out as if God's really busy in Africa and we here in Topeka, Kansas need to go, oh Lord, 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 help me this, help me this, help me this, Lord. I asked that again and I need to pray for it 110,000 times. And all of a sudden God goes, oh yes, Hishma, Topeka, Kansas. I, okay, thank you. I had, you had to ask me 105 times because I was really, bit, lots happening in Africa. And I need to come here and finally listen to you. And are we supposed to be like the other religions that just keep praying and praying and nagging and nagging because we have a God who's not interested unless we cry hard enough? The answer is no. Although we may be like that, that is not how we're to come to God. Although we may have that image, we need to renovate our picture of who God is in order to see what Jesus is saying here. And Jesus is saying he's not like that unjust judge. He is a loving heavenly father. He's a loving heavenly father. And that's why when we pray, our first point is this. We need to pray confidently because we're his children. And God is your loving heavenly father. These are this one value that, that can transform your, your prayer life in this teaching. Is that you don't have a God who's, who's uninterested. You don't have a God who is... Who is um, Uh, you know, impersonal as other religions uh, put him out. He is a God that calls himself our father, which means no one is going to love you more than God. You ever realize that? I try to teach this to my kids all the time. And now that uh, one of them is 16, I don't do it as much, but I do it with my 10 year old a lot. Before he goes to bed at night, I go, Nathan, there's only one person who loves you more than mom and me. You know who that is? He goes, Jesus. I said, yes. And he turns over and goes to sleep and never struggles with sleep at all because he knows he has a loving heavenly father who if we love him this much, God's going to love him even more. We want this to happen because if you don't think God is good, if you don't think God is loving, you won't pray to him. You'll be angry with him. And I, I've noticed that in a lot of people's lives when they go through a difficult time where they feel that they, God had mistreated them or something had been unfair or something had had, it's been a tragedy. It really hits their prayer life because they go, boy, if this would have happened, because this happened to me, God must not be loving. And that's just not true. We have to go back to the scriptures and fight our emotions to really see who God presents them as, as. And he is a loving father. So we need to pray confidently as a child to their father. Secondly, we need to pray courageously. We need to pray courageously because God has all the resources. He owns it all. And if we could get our mind around all that's in his power and his interest and his ability, we would start praying with courage and with power. And, and as it, you know, the picture that I kind of put out there is we're like an heir to the throne, an heir to the throne who our father's the king. And he has everything. He has power and he has authority. He has resources. He has ability. He has a plan. He has a a kingdom and a territory. And we as his children are to be that, understand that heir to the throne. In other words, we don't call the shots. 
but we pray to a father who does call the shots. And so we come to him courageously and we, you know, it's just like if you had a parent who was a billionaire, you would either do one of two things. You would either go selfish with it and go, daddy, can I have this, 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 and this? And you look at what's the next thing you could do. And then, you know, when you reach adulthood, you, the trust fund would come to you and you'd go, wow, now I can buy the jet and all life will be, you know, excellent for me. And you can, you can finally live life on your own terms. And that's exactly how some people view their prayer life. That we have this wealthy father in heaven that's all out to just bless his kid with Learjets and things like health, wealth and prosperity. And we can have this because God certainly wants me to be happy and my happiness is greater than his plan. And we need to repent from that. We need to come to God as he presents himself. He's still in control. As First Peter chapter 1 says that we have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. We are heirs to a throne. And so if we saw what our father is doing and we see his plan, we see his kingdom, and, and he teaches us how to rule in this world, then we'll start using it for his purposes that has his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us approach the, the throne of grace with confidence that we might find grace and mercy in our time of need. As your father, your heavenly father says, come and ask courageously. Try him on this. Go courageous. And then we're supposed to pray continually. And this is what Jesus told this story. Pray and never give up. Do you see that in that first, first part of the verses there? But we see it repeated all over the Bible. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, pray continually. If you aren't good at Bible memory, there's two words. Remember those two words. You've just memorized your first verse. <laughs> it's a good verse. Pray continually. In Philippians 4.6, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray, pray. Have this continually conversation. Because if you're with, if God is with you and you're conversing, you're communicating like a friend because God is interested in you. God is interested in you. You know, Jesus told this in uh, another, it wasn't a parable. It was a literal story. He says this, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? He tells us that we're valuable to him. Now, did you ever study on how much a typical bird eats? A hummingbird eats two and a half times its weight each day. I know it doesn't weigh a whole lot, but let's just take it to scale. I would have to eat 340 pounds a day of food. Do you know what my refrigerator and your refrigerator would have to look like to store that much food in a storehouse like that if it were to scale? I mean, think about your grocery bill. My, my kids are eating me out of house and home right now. I mean, something about adolescence. They are machines. And we're striking. I mean, we're, we're sacrificing to put food on the table because they would continually eat. And yet birds eat two and a half times or sometimes even just, let's just take it down conservatively. If you ate your weight each day, how much food would you have to have? And yet God, God provides for birds every day. In a nest, we don't look. When you, you know, scare a bird out of the nest, you don't look and you say, wow, look at all this food in that nest. No. Because the bird gets up, flies out, and eats. 
God provides that. And he says, how much more valuable are you than birds? So he's saying that because we're, we, he has a relational. It's a, it's a relationship with him. Three times in Luke, Jesus says, how much more valuable are you than these things? God is interested. Pray continually. Have this continual conversation with him. And then finally, pray cooperatively. God loves to partner with his children. That's grace, folks. That's the servanthood of God. He doesn't have to. He can do a whole lot better job without us. But for some reason, this God of relationship who loves us and calls us to be his children wants to work with us. I've got a great picture of this in my own life. Uh, in Chattanooga, we moved there about eight and a half years ago. And Jack at that time, my middle son, was three years old. And when I came home, he goes, Dad, can we cut the grass tonight? I said, yeah, Jack, let's go cut the grass. So I'd start up the lawnmower and I'd start going. I'd get three lines down and all of a sudden Jack would pick up his Fisher Price plastic um, lawnmower. You know the ones I'm talking about? If you grew up with a boy, every boy had one. If you're a mom, you could kind of, you know, just picture what it was in, in your mind. Well, I would cut, and after I got three, Jack would go, and this little kid would just look up at me while we're cutting. He said, keep your eyes on the lines. Keep your eyes, because, you know, I'm kind of, um, you know, perfectionist on my lawn, except for this year when it got scorched. But at any rate, we won't talk about that. But I'll keep, I'll keep, I was kept going, and he kept following me. And when we'd finish, an hour and a half later, I'd go, Jack! Thanks for helping me cut the lawn. And he'd go, yeah. And then I'd come home three days later. We're going to cut the lawn today. Now, did Jack cut the lawn? Did Fisher Price invent that to cut lawn? No. No. But there's something that happened. He worked alongside me. And I showed him how to cut lawn. And, and, and I cut it all. But for some reason... In his, in his whole angle, it was better. It was better for, for the whole experience, for him to partner with me on that. That's what prayer is. Prayer is you partnering with God, of coming alongside what he is doing. And in some weird way, he calls you into that to participate in his work. So that when you pray and it happens, you feel like, wow, I cut the grass. And God says, yeah, we did that together. Some people go, oh, that's just so arrogant to even say that you cut the grass because of your prayer life and all that. Well, well, get, get over it, okay? You wouldn't say, well, no, no, Jack, you didn't cut the grass. Your dad did. You're just a little three-year-old. You don't understand this yet, but let me just chart it out for you. Take away the beauty of that. When we see Christ, he's going to show us everything he did in our lives. And you're going to see how your prayers made a difference. And so pray cooperatively with God as you do that. So folks, if you only knew the power of prayer, I believe we would all go home and wear indentations on our floors. Because what, is it, what God is willing and able to do when we seek him in prayer. We, we do not exercise our faith enough in prayer. It's the greatest thing we can be doing. Now, I get pushback all the time on prayer. And I kind of want to explore those pushbacks with you. First of all is this. I just don't have the time. 
Now, you would think that we would kind of get over this one, but this is a very real deal. And some of you would never have the guts to come up from in front of me and go, Joe, I, I hear what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying. I kind of have that faith, but I just don't have the time. But yet we live like it. We live because we get down to the end of our day and we go, whew, boy, things are really busy. Didn't pray. Well, I'll go to bed. I'm really tired. God wants me to get rest. And we don't pray. And the reality is, is when prayer is an afterthought, when you give God leftovers, it kills relationships. Guys, when you give your wives um, leftovers in the rest of your day, when you give your kids leftovers, your relationship takes a hit. I mean, I'm, I'm not asking you to go and do that. But, but when you are passive with your wives, your relationship takes a hit. It does. Because leftovers kill relationships. You know, as I look at that, that's, you know, if you don't have the time, the reality is we make time for people who matter in our lives. You do. You do. You know, time is the great equalizer. Many of us can make much different incomes, and this whole room is a picture of a whole bunch of different incomes. Many of us have different abilities and different, uh, you know, skills and different levels of intelligence, but time is the great equalizer. If you have a billion dollars, you cannot purchase one more hour in the day. You can't. We're all given the same amount of time, 24 hours. And therefore, it's that resource that God wants us to steward for his purpose, for his glory. And I look at this, this, this pushback of I just don't have the time. Well, there's other people who do make time for prayer. And it is a blessing in their lives. And it is vital in their lives. It's not just to check the box. It's a vibrant relationship. And it's key to their walk with Christ. I think you make time to what things matter in your life. And your time matches your passions. Just in the same way that I could look at your checkbook and I could see your passions right now. I could tell you what's important to you. I could look at your day timer and I could look at, you know, your, your outlook, you know, calendar or your iCal. And I could tell you what's important to you by how you spend your time. We can make time. And I think we just, just to call it what it is, we need to repent of not putting Christ at the first and receiving the best of our day in prayer. I think that's something. Prayer will follow your passion. If you have a passion for God, you will pray. Secondly, I get this one. It's, it just hasn't been working for me. Prayer has not been working for me. This, this pushback in itself kind of reveals the issue <laughs> with prayer from this perspective. Because um, if you just take out it and put God in there, God hasn't been working for me. You come right at the heart of things. Because if you come to prayer that God is in it to work for me rather than I'm in it to work with God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to totally ruin your prayer life. The reality is, is prayer isn't about getting what you want from God. Uh, even though he calls us to ask for anything. And you know what? If you came up to me and said, I really want a Cadillac and I want a brand new Cadillac. And I go, well, why would you want a brand new Cadillac? You know, you go, well, I, it, it would be beyond, um, well, I want to save GM. It's because I like how it is. And I like a leather interior. And I like how a new car smells. I could go, okay, well, should I pray for that? Well, I said, have at it. Go out with God and just start conversing with him. Have something to start conversing. But listen, listen to what God is doing. You know, the name Israel in the Old Testament means 
those who struggle with God, the people of God were those who struggle with him in prayer. And it's something that we're to do in prayer is to be a wrestling sometime with God. God, this is what I want. Have you ever gone sometimes kid in a candy store? I want that. I want that. You take your kid to, you know, uh, Toys R Us and they're like, can I have this? You just kind of know in those environments, your kids are going to ask for all those things. And what if you bought them everything? Everything they said I want. Well, you would spoil them. You would ruin them. You destroy them. In the same way, God knows he has a plan for us. And he has great, much better wisdom than we do for ourselves. Prayer is that sometimes that wrestling with God. God, this is what I want. And we start to listen to what God might want for us. I mean, just just take this. Do we buy five-year-olds a shotgun because they like the sound of a shell going off? No, we don't. It would ruin them. It would destroy their lives. In the same way, there are things we ask for that God in his knowledge would say that would destroy you. I know in your little economy, you're thinking that would be the best part of your life. But right now, that would destroy you. You know, the way out of this pushback is not by neglecting prayer because it didn't work for you, but getting into what is prayer really for in my life? It's not about me. It's about God. It's not about God as my little genie I pray to. It's about me aligning with what God is doing and aligning with what he has for me. Another pushback is just, I'm just no good at praying. And I hear this a lot from people. People are re-engaging the church and they go, boy, Joe, you pray so much better than I do. I could never pray like that. And I I would simply answer to this. I'm just no good at praying is, is, well, and neither are two-year-olds good at talking. But what do we do? We ask them to talk. Right? Because parents, if you're raising a two-year-old and your two-year-old is not talking, you freak out. You do, and you take them to a therapist. This child's not talking. Get them to talk. And that therapist goes, let us talk, you know? And they start getting into all these things and, and educating parents on how to get your child to talk. Well, wherever you're at with prayer, if you're thinking, I'm just no good at it, you can start wherever you're at. You have a heavenly father who in the same way that a parent gets really excited about a two-year-old talking, look, he said my name. Look, he said this word. He said his first. She said her first sentence. This is incredible. You have a heavenly father who does the same when you pray. So begin. Begin at some place. We're never called to be expert sounding praying machines. We're called to be authentic before the Lord and converse with God through prayer. And so with these pushbacks, let me just move to a few questions. One of the questions I've heard about prayer is this. If God is sovereign, how can prayer make a difference? In other words, if God is working out his plan, how can my prayers make a difference? And the truth is, God is working out his plan. And he's revealed his plan in the word. And there's a really big plan that God is going to be true and he's going to work that out. But there's a specific plan for each of our lives that, you know what, is not revealed to us in scripture. We don't know that. So not knowing that, I can't go, well, my prayer is not going to make a difference. Over and over in scripture, we have people wrestling with God through prayer, crying out for them. In one place, Genesis chapter 18, we have Abraham crying out for Sodom and Gomorrah, for Lot, his nephew who was there. And Sodom and Gomorrah was a wicked city that God was going to destroy. And he started out with, God, if I can find a hundred people, will you save this city? And God said, I will save that city. And he got thinking, okay, he's a gracious God. God, what about 50? Can you find 50 people? Can you do that? I will save the city for 50. Lord, what about 30? (laughs) Wow, you're good at this, Abraham. 
You know, what about 30? Okay, for 30, 10. God says 90% discounts as low as I go. But think about that. He could have just gone, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to converse with God. I'm not going to share my heart. And only 100 people. There weren't 10, folks. There weren't 10. But he still, he still asked. And God changed his mind. In, in Exodus 32, Moses is praying and pleading after the Israelites worshiped the golden calf in the wilderness. God was going to destroy them. But after he prayed, it says God relented from destroying the Israelites. Because someone prayed. You don't know that specific plan. So I would pray. I would pray as God is listening and as God is able. I would pray. Jeremiah 18, we go on. Jonah chapter 3. All about them praying and God listening and responding. God partnering with his people. He loves to do that. He loves to answer prayer. Second question is this. Is there a right way to pray? And I get this also, and there's, there's people who just think, boy, I only pray the, Lord, pray the Lord's Prayer. That's the only one I'm really comfortable with, and I think that's the only one we ought to. And I would say, no, that's a pattern. There's other prayers in the Bible beyond the Lord's Prayer. God, Jesus gave us a grid on how to do that, and he's, he gave us an object in that prayer. We're to pray to God the Father, and we're to pray in the name of Jesus. We're into praying in the name of Jesus because Jesus is that one up in heaven who now is interceding for us. He's representing our prayers. Revelation talks even around the throne right now are the prayers of the saints. When you pray, it comes right before the throne of God. And you're represented by Jesus, the one who gave himself for you and sacrificed his life for you. When you pray, you have him representing you to, that, to your heavenly father. And we pray in the name of Jesus because it's Jesus who represents us before God the Father. And I just want to say this. There's people who think, boy, you offend me when you pray in Jesus' name. And I would just say, without Jesus, you don't have a prayer. You don't. And, you know, I've prayed in public environments. I prayed at the U.S. Congress to open up a, a, a session. And I prayed in the name of Jesus. And I've prayed here in Topeka in public environments, and I've prayed in the name of Jesus. And I've gotten some calls. Why'd you pray in the name of Jesus? I'm, I'm Muslim, and I, I don't like how you pray. You prayed in Jesus' name. That's crazy. And I said, I'm sorry, but if you've asked me to pray, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. If someone would say, Joe, you can pray. You just can't pray in the name of Jesus. I said, sorry, I'm not praying. <laughs> it's, it's not that I'm a jerk. It's just about my belief system. As I look at the scriptures, I see that we only pray because of Jesus. We only have a prayer because of Jesus. And we pray in his name. So we pray in his name. Everything outside of that is, is let your request be known to God. Pray. Let it be a continuing conversation. Share your life with him. Uh, uh, there is no right way to pray, but I've followed an acronym for a lot of my Christian life, and it's the acronym of ACTS, A-C-T-S, where A is adoration, where I'm, 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 I start my prayers where I'm just proclaiming who God is in my life. Lord, you are this, you are that, you are beautiful, you are awesome in my life. And then I'll move into a time of confession. And in confession, you know, as a little kid, when prayer was that to me, I kind of go, Lord, just forgive me for all my sins. And move on to the next one. And I think what, what confession is, is confession is we're, we're assured of forgiveness. But confession is naming it. 
Lord, I shaded the truth to my wife today. I lied. That was wrong. With you, you're the truth. I lied. I confess that to you, and in the name of Jesus, I just would ask for forgiveness. You know, when I realize that, it, it sure beats the, forgive me for all my sins, next. Because I start realizing, I start getting a heart more for the truth when I confess a lie. And I start, I start wanting to get and keep short accounts with other people when I confess sin in my own life. And I want to deal with that in their lives. And then I move to Thanksgiving and I always thank Jesus for what he's done for me. I always thank God for what he's doing in my life. I thank him for the blessings in my life. And then S is, is supplication. And what that supplication basically means is that let your requests be known to God. Request. Pour out your heart. Ask for great things. Ask courageously, confidently, cooperatively with God. And then one last question is, is prayer always going to be a struggle for me? The answer to that is no. Next question. <laughs> Sorry, I'll fill it out. Um, you don't grow, folks, unless you practice it. And I know that prayer, if prayer is foreign to you right now, you're not going to grow in it unless you struggle with it a little bit. That's okay. That's okay to do that. You have a heavenly father who has a ton of grace when you come to him. In prayer, there are times when I do struggle with God. I look at things that are happening in my life. I look at people I'm praying for who aren't getting healed, people who I've prayed for for healing who didn't get healed and died. And I struggle with God on that sometimes. But the reality is, is there are good and godly people in a sinful, broken world who die and who need Jesus to resurrect them. And that's where we're at right now, this side of heaven. And I have to trust. I have to trust through that. Do I struggle? Do I have questions? Do I have big issues sometimes with that? I go, God, that just seems unfair to me. Do I share that with God? Yes, I do. Look at the scriptures. Look at the Psalms. Look at Jeremiah. Look at Isaiah. You have Jeremiah crying out, cursed the day I was born. Cursed be the guy who said to my mother, you've got a boy. Because he struggled so much with God in prayer. You have a big God in the scriptures. He can handle it. And if you're thinking, oh, I'm just mad at God. Well, tell him that. Tell him that. I don't have the right to be. Well, you just said then you have respect for God if you said you don't have a right to. Share your heart with this God. He's big. He can handle it. He's not up in a terry cloth robe, up in a cloud, you know, of cotton. He's a big God who is active and working in this world. And we need to see him as that. So we can pray to him with that courageously. It's not always going to be a struggle. Remember who you're talking to, but open up your heart. Prayer is that invitation by God for a continuing conversation. That's what we want to be. Now, as we go before the Lord in communion and as we celebrate what Christ has done for us, remember without Jesus, we don't have a prayer. And we recognize that without Jesus, we don't have a relationship with God. He is the one who gave himself for us. Some of you are here and you think basically your relationship with God is based on how much time you pray, how much time you go to church, how many good things you do. And the reality of the scriptures is biblical Christianity is not about a religion of works. It's about a relationship of grace. We're all here and the ground is level at the cross because we all need Jesus. We don't have a hope without him. 
And because of what he's done, his giving of his body and his shedding of his blood, that's the forgiveness of our sins. When we take this, we're both proclaiming that it's, it's about him. It's what he's done, not what I'm doing. And so when you take this, you, I hope you're believing that it is what Christ has done for you, not what you're doing. There's no mystical element in this. You don't get the forgiveness of sins by taking these elements. They're elements of remembrance of what Christ has done for you. We do this once a month so that you would all remember that. We would never get over the cross. If you're here and you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, don't take this. Don't take this. It's, it's not a ritual. It's not just something you do because everyone's around you. Have the God said, if you haven't believed yet, just to let this go. And it's, it's my hope that as you see this, the gospel proclaimed before your very eyes, you would put your faith and trust in the work of Christ in your life. Come to this table, all you who trust in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask that you keep these elements in your hands so that we can take them all as a family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Father, that you are interested in your children, that you have the power and the ability to act and to move and to work through prayer. May we as your children move beyond hang-ups and habits that have kept us in the past and we have not grown with. Would you give us the freshness of a relationship with you? Move us beyond prayerless striving so that we would have a continuing conversation with the almighty God of the universe through Jesus Christ. We lift up the cross We proclaim the work of Christ in our lives through the taking of these elements. Would you be pleased, Lord Jesus? For it's in the name of Christ I pray. Amen.